was a very bold message. It was a very bold and confronting text. And Noah left us in this fearful anticipation. And uh, he talked about losing control of our bodily functions in fear. And so I thought about having the ushers hand out those depends, those adult diapers uh, to us as we walked in. But I thought I might not have a job on Monday morning if I did that. So I chose not to. But I do hope that you were able to listen to last week's sermon. For what Noah preached last week and the passage that he preached last week and the passage this morning really go hand in hand. So this is part two. The to be continued from last week's episode, if you will. And as I listened to Noah's sermon and I began thinking about what I would preach in the next passage this morning, I thought of a police interrogation. Noah was bad cop, if you will, last week. He brought you in to the station. He set you in the interrogation room. He put that bright light over your head, deprived you of water, turned up the heat, and let you sit in what verse 27 says is fearful expectation. And you've been in that room now for a week. Now this morning I get to come in and I get to be good cop. So I would like to bridge these passages together this morning by reading the passage from last Sunday and then reading the passage from this morning. So turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 10 and I'll first read verses 26 through 31 and then 32 through 39. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This was our passage from last week. It was a bold passage of scripture. That's why Noah preached so boldly and confidently last week. He was being earnest to the author's tone. And this week, you see that it's very much like being in an interrogation room. Last week, our souls were being examined by God's word. And now listen to how this week's passage begins. For It begins with a but. A small three-letter conjunction which moves us from warning to encouragement, from bad cop to good cop. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, 
so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Four, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Pray with me. Father, this morning I have a simple prayer. As we study your word, it's my prayer that you would increase our faith. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. 1985 was a year of great movies, and I was told by some of the elders after I preached the first service that, Jake, you just didn't have the, con- uh, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit back then, so these were not great movies to necessarily recommend, but listen to the great movies of my era before I was a believer. There was The Breakfast Club, The Goonies, Weird Science, Commando, yes, Commando is a great movie, uh, Rocky IV, and Fletch. But... As good as those movies were, the highest grossing film of 1985 was, anybody know? Back to the Future. If you remember the movie, Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, was accidentally sent back to 1995, excuse me, 1955 in a plutonium-powered DeLorean time machine. Every young boy from that era wanted a DeLorean for their first car just so they could get it up to 88 miles per hour and see if they really could travel back in time. But besides being a great movie, the title itself is fascinating. Think about it. Back to the Future. It seems contradictory. It's an oxymoron like a jumbo shrimp or a Dodge Ram. See, all you Dodge owners are like, what? Well, I think the catchy title itself would impress the author of Hebrews because in our passage this morning, he encourages the Hebrews to look back to the past and to look forward to the future as a way to encourage them in their present faith. He could have very well titled this section of Scripture, Back to the Future Himself. And you will notice in a simple outline that I put together this morning, which I have entitled Enduring by Remembering, that the author encourages us to look back and to endure by remembering the past in verses 32 through the first half of verse 34. And then he encourages us to look forward and endure by remembering the future in the second half of verse 34 through the end of our chapter. Listen again as I read that look back section where he encourages his listeners to endure by remembering the past. Verses 32 through 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. So immediately after the warning passage which Noah preached last week, the author begins with but. But recall. He is saying, I want you to remember something. Think back. Remember your early days as followers of Christ. Remember when you first embraced the gospel. Today we might say remember 
the good old days. As I was preparing to preach, I came across this magazine. It's the good old days. And uh, see what you guys pay me to do, search the internet for weird things like this. But listen to what they say about their magazine. The Good Old Days magazine is a magazine that remembers the best of times. Feature stories and photos of the good old days of 1930 through 1960 are all contributed by readers. This easy-to-read collection of memories will fascinate the young and old alike. So since I was born in 1973, I guess I really haven't experienced the good old days. But the author of Hebrews is encouraging his hearers to remember their good old days. Now you're probably thinking, hold on, these weren't good old days. Jake, did you even listen to what they went through as you read these things? I did. And I even put a slide together to kind of help us get a glimpse of what these early followers went through as they suffered. They they went through a hard struggle with sufferings, according to verse 32. They were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction in verse 33. They were also partners with those so treated in verse 33. They had compassion on those in prison in verse 34, and they had their property plundered as well in verse 34. None of these sound good. Now, we may not know the exact situation that these folks went through, But I want us to examine briefly the types of persecution and suffering that characterize these men and women just so that we get to know them a little bit better. First, the word that is translated hard struggle here in verse 32 was originally used for the extreme efforts of athletes in a sporting competition. Similar to a marathon runner who must endure pain and fatigue both physically and mentally, of the grueling 26.2 mile race set before them, these young followers endured the persecution set before them. This was hard. Not only that, but they were insulted and mistreated by others. The phrase in verse 33 was originally used for someone who was brought up on stage and eventually took on the meaning to be made a public spectacle of. So they were brought up here on stage. The spotlight was placed on them, but not for applause. Instead, for ridicule and public shame. These people were verbally abused in public and most likely physically abused as well. That's not enough. Adding insult to injury, verse 33 informs us that if they had by chance avoided and escaped personal insults, that they were friends of those who had been mistreated. They were so close to one another relationally that it was though what happened to them happened to their what happened to their friends happened to them. They empathized with the mistreated, which is affirmed in the fourth way that they suffered. They had compassion on those in prison. Some of their fellow believers had been arrested and put into prison. And those who were not imprisoned had compassion. They empathized. They hurt. For their friends, they may have even lobbied for their release and been in significant prayer for them. Hebrews 13 verse 3, which is coming up in just a few chapters, reminds them to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. 
And last but not least, they had their possessions taken from them. They, they were plundered. Earthly possessions were stripped away from them involuntarily. As I read through that list, I began to wonder, how are we persecuted today? How do we suffer for our faith? Because at first glance, it seems really hard to relate to the sufferings described here. But I began to realize that even though our persecution may look different, we can relate at some level. For we can be made fun of for our faith, especially when we're sharing the gospel with others. We can be excluded from social events because of our own beliefs. We can face rejection due to our association with the church or denomination or just Christianity in general. We may not be pulled up on stage and made a public spectacle of, but people may gossip about us behind our backs. We can be just as hurtful. We can even lose our possessions because we decide that we will not handle financial disputes like the world does. We even participate in a form of voluntary plundering as we trust God's provision by being generous to the church and others in need. You see, we, we make sacrifices ourselves for our faith we can relate to these folks maybe more than we know so here in our first section the author exhorts his listeners and us today to look back to remember the past as fuel for our endurance in the present so how should you and I obey this call to remember the past as I began to, to ponder this, the first thing that came to mind was my wife's journal. I don't know of anyone else who is more faithful to following this exhortation to remember the past than my wife, Shelly, and she does this through journaling. So I brought her journal with me today. I hope she's okay with me reading it to you. Is that a bad thing? Y'all are laughing. No, I asked her permission. Uh, but I'd like to read one of her entries. This is from about a year ago when she was facing some suffering and to be honest, some persecution from one of her very close family members. This is what she writes. Sometimes life just plain stinks. Some days I understand or think I understand why I walk the road of suffering that I do. But other days can be a mystery to me, which usually turns into pits of emptiness within. Today is one of those days. I'm positive that my family doesn't think that I care about them or love them or even pray for them, but I do. I don't selfishly pray for selfish gain, but that they will experience God's love in new ways. When you do, things just make more sense. Love becomes easier and forgiveness truer. I believe the Lord has definitely taught me a lot through this past year of trial things I hope to carry with me throughout my life. Perseverance, suffering, forgiveness, humility, being last, dependency on Him and satisfaction in Him. He has shown me so much. And these are just a few. And then she lists a bunch of scriptures that go along with each one of those things that God has taught her. And then she continues, I know that I am the chief of all sinners. Doubt, fear, insecurities, worries, anxieties. I have my ugly spots. 
But that's why I love to journal. Listen to what she says next. I love to journal because it helps me remember on days like today that he is a good, good, gracious father. So Shelly journals. Journaling is the way that she remembers all that she has been through and of God's faithfulness to her in the midst of it. She has turned back to this entry since then several times since she's wrote it as fuel for her continued faith in the hard times. Journaling can be a great way to follow this exhortation to remember the good old days where faith has been lived out in hard times. Another way to practically uh, to practice this thing of remembrance of the past is to surround yourself with other believers who remind you of past faithfulness in hard times. Through small groups and long-time Christian friends who encourage you and help you when your recollection fails you. I remember the first backpacking trip that I ever went on. Two of my friends from my small group, Drew Hamm and Ed Martin, took me up to the mountains for a weekend of fun and male bonding, but also to intentionally encourage me to persevere in my faith. These men knew I was going through one of the most difficult times in my life, and so they helped me remember, to remember, to endure, to hold on to my faith. And finally, the scriptures. The scriptures are full of accounts of men and women of faith who have endured trials and tribulations and persecution and came out with their faith intact. We'll be looking at some of these beginning in chapter 11. When we read these biblical accounts, we should read them often. We should read books like Job. We should read books like the Psalms and 1 Peter and Hebrews. These books that address hard times and let them encourage us to endure in our faith. Let these past saints help us to remember. Now these are just a few of the practical ways that we can look back and endure by remembering the past. Find one that works for you because I will tell you this, remembering takes a conscious effort. It doesn't happen haphazardly. It's something we must be intentional to do. Now in the second half of verse 34, the author begins to encourage his listeners to look forward and remember the future as fuel for their present endurance. For hopefully you notice that these people respond very differently than we would expect them to. We read that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Now, I've only had stuff stolen from me one time in my life. My family and I left the house in the middle of the day for about four hours. And when we returned, we noticed that my son's guitar was missing. His watch was missing. My daughter's three necklaces that her boyfriend Sheldon had given her were missing. And my wife's camera was nowhere to be found. And I can tell you right now, I was not joyful. Joy would not have been the emotion that would have best described what I was feeling in that moment. So what is up with these strange people who joyfully accept robbery? It seems to be so foreign to us, doesn't it? Well, let's say that you drove a beat-up moped as your only form of transportation. And I told you 
that if it ever gets stolen, that I will graciously give you my BMW M5. By the way, a BMW M5 has a sticker price of $470,000. You would be filled with joy if that beat-up moped was ever plundered. You might even plunder that moped yourself. It's amazing. But we can rejoice in the midst of suffering when we have confidence that the suffering brings us something far better. Take insurance, for example. Americans are some of the most heavily insured people in the world. We have insurance for our homes. We have insurance for our cars. We have insurance for our health. We have insurance on our lives. We have insurance on our travel. We have insurance on our bank accounts through the FDIC. We have insurance for anything that is not already insured. Aflac, I hate that duck. Will somebody kill that duck for me? Our insurance has insurance. Now, did you know that this guy named Michael Flatley, who you might not know, at the height of his career, he was a star of Riverdance and Lord of the Dance, insured his legs for an unbelievable $47 million through Lloyd's of London. If he ever twisted an ankle, if he ever broke a leg and could not perform, he would get $47 million. If that's not crazy enough, there is actually insurance against alien abductions. We will insure anything. Why do we do this? We do this just in case we are ever plundered. If something happens, we will not be left empty-handed. Something will abide. Well, the tail end of verse 34 reminds us of an even greater security than insurance. We don't just get bought, brought back to even minus our deductible. We get something better. We get something that lasts forever. If you think about this, if you think that you're in good hands with Allstate, you're in better hands with the all-sovereign God. Listen to how the author of Hebrews writes it in the second half of verse 34. The reason that these folks could joyfully accept plundering says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see, if they lose the moped, they get the BMW M5. They have better than full coverage with God. The reason that these people could respond in this strange way with joyful acceptance is because they knew, they were confident that without a shadow of a doubt that something better awaited them. In all these various forms of suffering, listen in verses 32 to 34, these folks really seem to believe Jesus' words in Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, when he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You see, these people don't only have God's past grace to look back on. They have God's future grace to look forward to. Even when we were talking about the good old days, these folks knew that good was not defined by their circumstances, but what was being cultivated in the midst of those circumstances. 
It was good because their faith had been tested and found to be true. It was the good old days for them. And they knew that faith leads to a greater reward. This is why James can write in James 1, verses 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And Peter can write in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Both James and Peter expect faithful followers to experience joy in the midst of trials. And this is exactly what's going on in our passage in Hebrews this morning. They joyfully accept the plundering of their property because they look forward to a future reward. You see, enduring faith leads to a better and abiding reward. Richard Phillips puts it this way. We bring future blessing into our present trouble as power to persevere. This is why we are exhorted in verse 35 to not throw away our confidence. These men and women have been faithful in the past. They were able to endure because they looked forward to a future reward. But I wonder if they were being tempted and growing weary in their present circumstances. You see, sustained suffering can take its toll on an individual. Now for three months... Daniel Creswell, Carson Cobb, Noah Joyner, and myself did the exercise program P90X together. We actually did it in the old worship center. We threw the video up on the screen. It was a sight to behold. I'm glad none of you showed up here on one of those mornings at uh, 8 o'clock and watched us do that. But one of our trustees actually did surprise us one morning. and He walked a painter through the room as Daniel and I were in a very uh, interesting yoga X pose that morning. So I wonder what that painter thought about our church after he saw us in there doing yoga eggs. But in one of these workouts, you do about a thousand bicep curls. Is that, a, is that right, Noah? <laughs> the only amen that I'll get from Noah today is those thousand bicep curls. But I'm not exaggerating. It is excruciating. It is hard, even with light weights. Now, one of the exercises that they ask you to do is called static arm curls. I should have kept doing P90X because they're getting heavy. So what you do in this exercise, after doing about 300 curls, is you hold one in a static position in a 90 degrees while you curl the other weight seven times. I don't think I can do seven anymore. Then you hold the other one in its position, and you curl it seven times, and then you go through that three times. That's after about 200 curls, and you go do some more curls, and you come back and you do that again. I'll tell you, we cried the first few times that we had to do this. All right? Until we finally figured out that, you know what? If I do the curls faster... I don't have to hold this one up in a static position for as long because that's where the pain is. The pain is in holding the weight up for a significant period of time. You see, when we're under a burden, no matter how heavy the burden, for a long enough period of time, it begins to hurt. The longer you have to hold up the weight, the harder it gets. 
pain increases and you're tempted to give up, to quit, to throw in the towel. You see, these men and women that we're reading about this morning were able to carry the burden of suffering in the beginning. But they had been holding the weight up for a very long period of time. According to the author, they had a need for endurance. The pain seemed to be unbearable, and they were probably tempted at times to throw in the towel. We see this temptation and even them giving into the temptation in Luke 8, verse 13, a passage that Noah alluded to last week. I'd like to read it. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a little while. But listen to what happens. In the time of testing, when that weight is being held up for a long period of time, what happens to them? They fall away. You see trials, suffering, persecution. They test our faith. They sift us. True believers are strengthened as they endure in their faith by God's grace. False believers fall away. True believers obey God even when it's tough. Verse 36 says, they do the will of God. The others, the false believers, go back to doing their own will. Managing the pain on their own. You see, nothing reveals our true hearts more than trials. So when times are hard, do you trust God in obedience or do you turn to something or someone else? When marriage is hard and your spouse is acting like a fool, do you continue to pursue them in love or do you harden your heart toward them? When tragedy comes, and stress of life comes, do you pray for God's nearness to be your great comfort or do you run to things like alcohol, self-medicating, pornography even? When money is tight, do you trust God to provide or do you come up and develop your own schemes that include cutting corners, things like deceiving the IRS and even selling your own integrity in the process? question is, when the pressure is on, do you look like your Savior or do you look like the world? Which one do you look most like? Now the author of Hebrews is aware that testing can be hard, even for the most faithful of believers. So he challenges them. Similar to how Daniel and Noah and Carson and I would challenge each other during that P90X. We would say, push through the pain, fellas. Don't give up now. Most of the hard work is already done. Don't throw in the towel. Just a few more reps. It's worth it. Remember, no pain, no gain. In the author's words, do not throw away your confidence. The reward is great. You need to endure. When it's all over, when you've done God's will, you may receive what is promised. For what awaits faithful followers of Christ who endure till the end far exceeds any pleasure in this life or any pain that we could ever experience. For the reward comes from God and the reward is God. He is the rewarder and he is the reward. 
Listen to what's coming up in the next chapter. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God, the rewarder, rewards those who persevere in faith with eternal life in his city, the city of God. This is a city that I mentioned in my sermon six weeks ago. It is a city where Jesus is and where his glory is on full display forever and ever. It is the promised eternal inheritance spoken of in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. God is our rewarder and he is our reward. We get God and we get to be with him forever. This is a stunning and extravagant future for us to remember. Now, if I'm not careful, I can miscommunicate something today. So I have one disclaimer. Perseverance and endurance do not earn salvation as though it is a work of man. Rather, it is an evidence of true salvation, which Jesus has already purchased by his blood. We are able to endure because we are truly saved. One author highlights this when he writes, The reward is not because one maintains the confidence. Rather, it is the testing of confidence that enables one to receive what God has already promised. So now, the author of Hebrews continues to encourage and challenge his listeners and us today by citing a modified combination of Isaiah 26.20 and Habakkuk 2, verses 3-4. through You'll see it in verses 37-38. through For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Jesus is the coming one, and he is coming soon. The author is continuing his encouragement for us to hang in there. He's reminding them that their suffering has an end. He's also reminding them that authentic believers, what this passage calls my righteous ones, they live by faith. You see, faith is not a one-time decision. It's not a simple prayer at creed camp or promise keepers or a women's retreat when a charismatic speaker gets up front and moves you to emotion to make a decision on whether you would rather spend eternity in heaven or hell. Who would pick eternity and hell over heaven anyway? Now it may begin with a prayer. It usually does. But true faith must be lived out over a lifetime. Authentic believers, according to this passage, live by faith. They continue. They endure. They live faith day by day by day by day in good times and in hard times they may not be perfect but they have a trajectory towards faith Charles Spurgeon put it this way fair weather faith is no faith at all we don't get to pick and choose the circumstances by which we want to exercise our faith in the times that we don't want to according to Spurgeon that would be no faith at all what this passage teaches is that faith endures. Nothing less, it endures. 
And we will hear a laundry list of names in our next chapter. Examples for us of men and women who maintain their faith in difficult times. Carson will preach and then Ben Merkel and then finally Josh Reed. And we will be reminded of God's peoples whose lives were marked by enduring faith especially in hard times, times of trials and suffering and tribulation. For we are reminded here at the end of verse 38 that if we shrink back, God has no pleasure in us. Listen to how verse 39 finishes this thought. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Back in the ancient days of my childhood, there were toys called Shrinky Dinks. There they are. Cool little Shrinky Dinks. And so what these were, were these sheets of plastic, and they, they had outlines of images of popular characters from our era. You'll see Mr. T there. You'll see Alf there. You guys probably don't even have a clue who those are, but those were popular people back in our day. And uh, you would color them in, you would write things on them, and you would add some more detail, and then you would stick them in the oven for about two or three minutes, and they would shrink up. Here's a picture of what one looks like after it's been shrunk. Now, I have two brothers and no sisters, so we do what boys do. We put the shrinky dinks in the oven, and guess what? We leave them in there way longer than two or three minutes. What happens to a shrinky dink when you leave it in there for 10 minutes? about 20 minutes mom loved this the smells of plastic running through the home um, but what happens when you leave a shrinky dink in the oven longer than its recommended time in that heat they would curl up they would become distorted and ultimately they were destroyed the author of Hebrews is saying that we will all face the situational heats of life we will face trials and tribulation and suffering we will be placed in that oven of life, if you will. The question for us is not if we'll suffer, but when we do, how will we respond to the heat? Will we come through it looking like we are supposed to, or will we come out curled up, distorted, and according to this passage, ultimately destroyed? I've said it already, but nothing tests faith like suffering. When you are placed in the oven of life, will you cling to your faith or will you shrink back? Will you endure or will you throw in the towel? Those who shrink back, God has no pleasure in. They are destroyed. Let that thought sink in for a moment. It's frightening. For the God who has said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay to have no pleasure in you. Well, in verse 39, the author turns back to encouragement. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back. Now you got a question here. How do you know that you're one of the we that's included here, that's spoken of here? Well, the we are those of us who, according to this passage, endure. Those who persevere. Those who suffer well and maintain their faith and obedience through it. Those who keep their confidence. Those who do the will of God in tough times. Those who don't shrink back. These are the ones that preserve their souls. These are the ones 
who are ultimately saved. So church, the warning passage last Sunday should have prompted each and every one of you to come in here this morning and pay special attention to every word this morning. You see, these two sermons, they go together. They complement one another. Both bad cop and good cop, which I don't really think I was good cop today, but both bad cop and good cop are after the same thing. They're after the truth. And the truth is that both you and me have a need for endurance. The author says, do not, do not throw away your confidence. Instead, endure in faith. For if we do, if we endure, if we maintain our faith, we will spend eternity with God, experiencing His glory forever and ever. But if we do not, if we shrink back under the heat of life, the warning passage from last week tells us that we face a fearful judgment, a fury of fire that will consume all adversaries. We will face a God pouring out vengeance on us as one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and outraged the Spirit of grace. We have a desperate need to endure. And according to this passage this morning, the way that you and I endure is by remembering. We endure by remembering. We look back. We look forward. We look back and we endure as we remember the past. We talked about this. Journaling is a great way to do this. Record your struggles. Record God's faithfulness to you in those struggles. And when times get tough, again, turn back to those and remind yourself of how God got you through it and how He gave you faith through it, how He strengthened and grew your faith through it. Surround yourself with other believers who will remind you of God's faithfulness in the midst of difficult times. Be meaningfully connected to a small group here at North Wake. Study God's Word. Memorize scriptures that encourage you and strengthen your faith endurance muscles. And then look forward. Look forward and endure by remembering the future. You should read and even memorize passages that help you look forward to the future with God. One of my favorite passages is a treasure hidden in the field where a man's walking across the field and he stumbles across a treasure. He buries it and he sells everything else he has so that he can go back and have that treasure. That passage is about the kingdom of God. It reminds me that I give everything up in this world so that I can have that eternity with the rewarder and a greater reward than this world ever offers. And again, we surround ourselves with other believers who are pursuing the same future reward. We read books like Future Grace by John Piper, Chasing Infinity by our own Mark Lederbach, and Heaven by Randy Alcorn. These are just a few of the books out there that help us look forward to that future. There are many other good ones out there. But I'll summarize it this way. As we look back on our past faith and look forward to our future reward, we receive strength to endure 
our present troubles. Now this Sunday, combined with last Sunday when Noah preached, has more than likely resulted in one of two reactions. Some of you have been encouraged and you've been assured of your faith. But others of you have been challenged and may even be questioning your faith. We're going to have a response time here when the praise team comes up and leads us. For those of you who have been encouraged and assured in your faith, I would encourage you to take this opportunity to come down front and just be thankful. Be thankful for God's provision for you through your past sufferings. Remember all that he has done for you and thank him for that. Thank him for the future that he offers you. Remember the future that he offers with him. Come and thank him. And if you're going through a circumstance right now, then ask him to give you faith in the midst of it. On the other hand, if you're one of the folks that have been challenged and are questioning, then this is an opportunity for you to come down front and to speak to God. To grab me or one of the other leaders down front and say, how can I have assurance? How can I have assurance that I will be with him one day so that I know that my soul will be preserved? So church, as the praise team plays, come and remember. Remember the past, remember the future, and endure the present.